All right, Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. Tell you what, I already feel like I've been to church this morning with uh, some Sunday school and uh, focus on missions. And uh, I tell you what, really, really great thought uh, that he kind of closed out with uh, there talking about Abraham and offering Isaac. And and I would love to uh, develop that. Uh, a little bit. There was some tremendous stuff, some stuff that crossed over some other stuff I've been doing about uh, worship and things, some about response, and I'd love to get into that. But then he talked about prayer there a little bit at the very end of the slides, and I thought he better not, and he didn't. But uh, Matthew chapter number nine, where we're going to get our text from, and continue to speak on the subject of missions this morning. Matthew chapter number 9, last week we read a whole big, long, almost a whole chapter uh, text. This week it's short, okay? This is way better. You'll stay awake for this one, okay? Matthew chapter number 9, we're going to begin in verse number 35 and then read through the end of the chapter here, just just, uh, four verses. So Matthew chapter number 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I looked it up, and uh, y'all know me, I love the uh, Reese's Chronological Bible. Thank you, Mrs. Dunks, for that one. Uh, I mentioned that, and she said, I've got one, and and that is the handiest book. I love that book. But according to Reese's Chronological Bible, this takes place somewhere a year, year and a half or so into the earthly ministry of Christ. It's fairly early into his three and a half years uh, of ministry. That public ministry of Christ began when he was about 30 years old, when John the Baptist pointed him out as the Lamb of God. He was tempted, tested for 40 days in the wilderness. His first miracle was not too long after that at the marriage at Cana. He spoke to Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman that we looked at last time. And uh, for for this time, if, if you look at it, he's been traveling around Galilee teaching and preaching and, and performing these miracles, healing. Along the way, he, he people begin to follow him, to believe in him, to follow him. And sometimes we'll see this as just great throngs of people. Look at the, the, the people gathered like at the, at the Sermon on the Mount. There can just be thousands of people gathered to, to hear him. Out of all these people that have come, he calls 12 men from those to to be specially trained for greater service. Uh, These 12 men, we call them the disciples, they travel with him on his preaching tours. They they see the miracles. They hear the sermons. There's private instruction that goes on. In verse 35 of our text, we, we see just a tremendous summary. If you don't know what Christ did on earth, this is a tremendous summary that he went about all the cities and villages teaching in in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And that's the setting for our text in the sermon this morning. As we're focusing on missions this month, 
this passage is one that readily comes to mind. I, I, I was sitting here thinking, how many sermons have I heard on praying for laborers in the harvest? It, it, it's just so widely used. And the harvest truly is great. It's far beyond our ability to harvest. The laborers are truly too few. We could double, triple, quadruple the number and still be lacking. The prayer is truly repeated today, 2,000 years later, the need for more aid in the harvest of souls. I want to examine three things. I don't have a very long introduction this morning. I've, I've got three things I want to bring to you from this passage in the light of missions, and then I want to show you something extra at the end of that. First off, I want us to note the actions of the Lord, the actions of the Lord. I am convinced that the record of, of all the activities and the sermons, everything that Christ did that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, the other uh, places, you know, Paul may mention something, everything that Christ did when he was on earth, I, I'm convinced it's just a sample of what he did while he was on earth. Um, you look at all the things he did in verse number 35. Note that he went. Jesus went to all these cities and villages. That's He physically was there. He was, uh, he was there. He was present. He, was act, he acted. People heard him. People saw him. Uh, he interacted with them. He was physically there. And where did he go? He went to all the cities and villages. And I think this is talking about Galilee. So when you look at your map of, of, the, uh, um, uh, of the Holy Land there, you got the Dead Sea down here, the Sea of Galilee up here. It's that region that's kind of up here uh, just west. I'm doing that backwards. I'm doing good. Uh, uh, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, if you look that up. I tried to find, in, in, in ancient borders are very hard to determine, and I tried to find, like, you know, what size of an area that would be. And um, I can tell you that the modern northern district in Israel, which is roughly the same, maybe a little bit bigger, is about 1,700 square miles. Um, I played around on the map and tried to estimate, and I came up with about 1,500, but that, that, that's probably fairly close. To give you an idea of how big an area this is, Wise County, according to Wikipedia, is about 900 square miles. Denton County, Jack County, they're all pretty close, about 900 square miles. So just let's say if it's 1,700 square miles, that's about the size of, of let's going to say Wise and Denton County, okay? Just to give you a picture of, of how big an area this is. Now imagine visiting every city in Wise and Denton County. Uh, and that's not just the bigger towns, not just Decatur, Denton, Bridgeport, Louisville, uh, not just the bigger towns, but also those little communities that sometimes don't even make it on the map. Park Springs, Bolivar, Blewett, Drop, Keeter, Elizabethtown, Garvin. You know where Garvin is in Wise County? Congratulations, okay? That's an easy one to miss because there's nothing there anymore other than the little Methodist church <laughs> um, in the cemetery. But all these little communities, imagine going to all, the, Jesus went to all the places. Guess what, I looked that word up in Greek, you know what it means? All. <laughs> he went to all of them. He, there wasn't a place he missed. He went to all the all these cities and villages and settlements in the area of Galilee. Oh, and he went there on foot. He didn't hop a, cat, uh, hop a, uh, hop a taxi or call an Uber or 
uh, you know, even ride on a horse. He walked to all these places. And he didn't just pass through and wave. Uh, there's places I can say I've been to. Uh, I was thinking uh, one time I was, I was counting up all the states, and there was one state. Uh, so I've been there. I was on a plane. We had a layover, and we sat down. I didn't get off the plane, but I was in the state. Does that count? Uh, sort of. You know, it really didn't touch the ground. But uh, I was there just for a little bit. Well, think about this. Christ didn't just pass through these places. He taught. He preached. He healed. And I personally think this, I don't know if I can prove this scripturally, but my personal belief is that every man, woman, and child in these areas saw him, heard him, they knew who he was. Now imagine the stories of all those interactions in all these cities with all these people. Every person that he healed, the story that that would cause. Imagine every sermon that he preached, whether that's on a hillside or in a synagogue. It's true what John said, and I love the verse that closes out the, the Gospel of John, John 21, 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Christ didn't just come to alleviate the earthly sufferings of these people. He didn't come just to heal the, the crippled, the, the lame, the blind. He didn't come just to feed the hungry, though he did that. His own words tell us why he came. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to shine light in the spiritual darkness. He came to set men free from their sins. That's the purpose behind all that he did. But he didn't just act. The second thing I also point out is the affection for the lost. So we have the actions of the Lord, now we have the affection for the lost. I remind you that in the Bible, feelings and actions go together. They're not separate. In our modern post-enlightenment mind, we separate these things. Uh, for example, uh, you know, I can say, well, I love somebody. Well, that love has an implied action in the biblical mind. You can't separate these two things out. If I were to say I love someone, but I didn't tell them or show them or help them, uh, that it's, it, it, like I said, that concept is just absolutely not in the mind uh, of, the, of the biblical world. It's a very modern concept that separates those things. So what Christ was doing in going around teaching and preaching, performing miracles, he's showing us his heart, his love for the people. If all we have was verse 35, if that's all we had to know that what he did for three and a half years, that's plenty to know he loved people, that he cared, that he went out and did his best to help people. But the next verse makes it even clearer, verse 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. To picture this, if you will, the Christ of verse 35, the Christ who walked to all these villages, who, who visited them, he taught in them, he preached in them, he performed miracles in them, he stayed in them. That Christ who all this activity here he pauses. 
He looks out on the multitudes. He looks out and sees that there is still more to do. There's still help that is needed. And his heart is broken at the need. What he sees is the lost. And by the way, think about this. Talking about going to Burkina Faso or, or some of these places. Well, they, they're not Christians. They're, they're, they're Muslims. These people were Jews. They had the Bible. They had the truth. And yet they still didn't know Christ like they should. It's amazing when you really stop and think about that. These were probably saying, well, these are good moral people, but they needed Christ. They're lost. That's our human nature, broken, fallen, sinful nature. Isaiah described it, and I think maybe as Matthew's writing this, I think he's alluding back to this verse. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. I think he's alluding back to that verse right there. These people, even though they were descendant from the, the, the great spiritual forefathers, Abraham and, and David, they couldn't say like David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because they had gone astray. They didn't realize who had come to see them, who that was that walked in their village, who that was that was preaching, who was that? He was the good shepherd. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and, and, and am known of mine. Hebrews 13, 20, Lord has this little phrase, Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's coming to call his people back to him. He is the answer to the problems that they didn't even realize that they had. And they wandered in darkness and danger without Him. Can you see Christ there? He's weary. He's tired from the work. By the way, yes, He was 100% God. He's 100% man. Bad math, but it's good theology. He was divine, yes. But He also had the frailties just like we do. He got hungry. He got tired. And I imagine Him in this moment He's tired from walking. He's tired from preaching. And yet there is so much more that needs to be done. Can you see him with tears in his eyes looking at the need that remained? Can you feel his heart breaking at the need? Now I want to make this personal. Can we feel it? Can you feel it? Can you see the need? Can you see the billions I'm not exaggerating billions around the world that need Christ. Does that move your heart at all? It should. We claim to have the heart of Christ. That should break our hearts just as it broke our masters. I'll tell you personally, this is I'll tell you, there's a few things I use as a litmus test on my own self. I want to gauge how am I spiritually doing? And one of the things I test is do I have a concern, a burden? For the lost? Does it bother me that someone needs to hear the gospel? If I cannot be moved by that great need, I know there's something wrong in my spiritual life. It's a good question to ask ourselves from time to time. Are we moved with compassion at the need of the lost? 
third thing I want to see is the appeal for the laborers. The appeal for the laborers. Again, picture in your mind here, here's Christ. He's tired. He's weary from the work. He turns to his followers. I think specifically here, the 12 men that he's called into service. The need is stated aloud. We're not going to be vague about this. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's too much work for just one person to do. Too much work for even a small team of men. What's the solution? We need more help. Verse 38, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I can't help but think, and I know I've used this illustration before, and I've had people tell me they don't remember this, but I remember this. I think of Craig Shaw. Some of y'all know him. But growing up, I swear, every time that man cut his hayfield and got ready to bail it, there was rain coming in. It seemed like every time they had, to, they had to cut hay and haul hay, that the rain was coming in and they had to hurry and get the hay. I, I, I know my dad's told me that, that happened, but not all the I swear it happened every time he cut hay. I, I, I just seems like it. But I, I just remember being, and by the way, I've been there, hauled hay enough. I was thinking about that. It's been a long time since I hauled hay. I, I used to really like that for some reason. I, I don't know why. I, I think I've matured and got over my insanity a little bit. But uh, I remember hauling hay growing up and, and, and helping do that. And I remember those times where there would be storm. I remember being out in the hay field where there's thunder and lightning. We're just trying to get the hay in the barn, you know, so it doesn't get rained on. I, I remember those days. And I remember times where they're like, man, we need help. Can we call somebody? Hey, can you help? I remember times where, you know, we would be loading up a trailer and like, okay, well, there's room in the back of the truck. Just put stuff in the back of the truck. We got to get the hay in. Because the rain is coming. The rain will ruin it. We've got to get this hay in. Why? Because the harvest was ready. Time was running out. You needed as much help as you could to make sure that everything was brought in safe. By the way, the people at that time, you're talking to people at the very agrarian agricultural society there, they understood that. They knew. Nowadays, people think the food comes from Walmart. These people knew about the harvest. They knew about sowing and reaping. They knew that the wheat and the barley had that window where it was ripe and you had to get it in. You had to harvest it. They understood that. They understood that sometimes you had to hurry. Sometimes you had to call in help. By the way, Matthew chapter 20, there's a parable that describes that where the, the guy goes out at dawn and he hires some workers and then goes out a couple hours later, hires some more and then again. And then it says at the 11th hour, he hires some more workers. And it goes throughout the day, what was the deal? He said, there was a harvest. He had to get it in. It shows that urgency and bringing in more help to make sure that the work gets done. Can I be honest with you here? I cannot do everything. And neither can you. We're just one person. We can't do everything. I cannot reach the people of Bangkok, Thailand. But Brian Cohn that was here with us Wednesday, he can reach some of them. He can make a difference there. I, as much as may hurt, I really don't have a big desire to go to Burkina Faso. Um, it might be a nice place to visit. Uh, maybe. We'll see. Uh, but if God's getting the rice singers there. They can make a difference there. 
I, I can't. I, I'm here in Decatur, Texas. But they need somebody. I can't reach the homeless down in Fort Worth, but Scott Griffin can reach some of them. I can't even reach the people here in Wise County or Decatur. By the way, I'm thankful we've got a number of good churches and we're trying our best to reach this community, this county, this region with the gospel. The work is just too great for one man. If you look at the size of the need, we need more help. If Christ said we, he needed more help, we need more help too. By the way, somebody told me, I was, oh, there's too many Baptist churches in Decatur. And I'm, like, well, I'm going to tell you, that's the wrong perspective. As long as someone needs to hear the gospel, we need more churches. As long as sin holds someone captive by drugs or alcohol, we need more churches. As long as babies are in danger of abortion, we need more churches. As long as there are broken homes, we need more churches. As long as someone bears heartache and tragedy without love and support, we need more churches. Across the street, across the state, across the globe, we need more. We need more laborers in the harvest. The hope of our nation, the hope of the world, the hope for every individual soul is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How is the gospel spread? Through churches. Those assemblies of believers working together. We need to pray for more laborers. The fourth thing I want to show you is the answer of the Lord. The answer of the Lord. Here's Christ. He's telling His disciples, you need to pray. Pray to God the Father that we get more help with this harvest. Look at the need. That's the end of the story, right? I almost took a screenshot of my Bible program on my computer and had Bill show it. Because at the bottom of the at the bottom of this chapter on my screen, it's just a big white blank spot. Why? Because the chapter ends. Pray for more laborers. And then it, it just ends. That's the end of the lesson, right? That's it, that's it. You just need to pray, right? That's it. It's a great need. Pray for it. <laughs> it's where we usually stop, but that's not where the story ends. Go to chapter verse one of the next chapter. The story continues. And when, and I don't think the scene's changed here. This isn't a jump of months or a location. I think it's the same place. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power, authority, against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all, all manner of disease. What Christ is doing here, and by the way, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the, what are called the synoptic gospels. They cover the same ground. He's about to send out the 12 on a preaching tour. He's about to multiply the work. He says, look, there's a great need. We need more help. Guess who the help is? It's you guys. He, he teaches them before they go, and that's the bulk of Matthew chapter number 10. I don't have time to get into it, but he trains them before they go. There's a great lesson in that. But he trains them before they go. According to Mark chapter 6 and the account there, Mark 6, 7, he sends them out in groups of two. So you have 12 people, six pairs that go out. And by the way, I, I think it's very interesting if you look at the three Gospels there, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
and you look at what each of them say about this. Matthew 11, verse 1, talks about what happens. It says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding, that's the training, his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Mark, in chapter 6, verses 12 12 and 13, says, And they, the disciples, went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many devils, anointed with oil many that were sick, and healed them. Luke, Luke 9, 6, says, And they, the disciples, departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You see what just happened right there? The prayer was answered. The prayer was answered. He said, you guys need to pray for more laborers. And he said, oh, by the way, guess what? It's you. (laughs) You're the answer to this prayer. The prayer was answered. It wasn't just Christ going out with a big entourage of people. Now there's six teams of two. That's six times the number of places that Christ could have reached by himself. And if you assume if when they got there that both of them are doing things, that's 12 times the sermons, the miracles, everything going on. That's multiplication. It's basic math here, people. The prayer was answered. That's the work of missions in action. That's how the gospel turned the world upside down within centuries. First, there is a need. Second, there's a concern for the need. Third, there is a prayer for the need. And fourth, there is someone who is the answer to that prayer. Four things and I'm done here. If you see the need, if you have a burden for the need, if you pray for the need, Don't be surprised when you are part of the answer for the need. God's been working on you. He's been burdening you. He's been softening your heart because He wants you to have a part in the solution. You can be the answer to your very own prayer. We love the little joke. We tell it from time to time about the the, the old grandma that uh, prayed that the bar would burn down across the street and or prayed every night, every night, and then the, there's her little daughter. There's different versions, but her like granddaughter comes and stays with her, and then the, the next night the place burned down. And so, well, what happened? God answered prayer. And the, the little girl said, well, I put feats to my prayers. You know, I've heard that little joke. There's all kinds of variations on it, I know. But listen, sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray, and God's saying, yeah, and you can do something. You could, you're the answer. You're the answer. We pray for world missions, and you know what? Each of us are the answer. That does not mean you are the answer. We'll put that little caveat here. So I'm never going to pray for Africa because I want to go to Africa. No, that's not how this works. You may not be the person that can go, but you can be the person that prays. You can be the person that supports. You can be the person that gives. You can be the person that encourages. You can be the person that helps train. There is so much that can be done. You can be that person. You can be that person. We used this told you the story last week, the illustration about holding the rope. You can be the person holding the rope for the person that's down in the pit. You can do your part. Musicians, y'all go ahead and come. Number three, too many are afraid to pray for the need because they don't want to be part of the answer. 
If God is calling you to answer the need, you will never have peace until you surrender to that call. I say surrendering does not mean buy plane tickets. But surrendering says, Lord, I am yours. Whatever you need me to do, I will do. As our theme is, wherever you lead, I will go. If God leads you to a foreign field, you need to go. If God leads you to pray for missions, you need to pray. If God leads you to support missionaries, give, write a check, sell something, but give. Whatever He leads you to do, do it. It's that simple. I thought of the words to the old song. I love these old invitation songs, but you have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. That's the heart of surrender. That's the heart of missions. That's the heart of Christianity. And I'm going to tell you, that is the answer to the prayer for missions. Is surrendering and just laying out to God, what will you have me do? What can I do? And last, you must make sure you've taken care of your own need. That you know the gospel, you know Christ. You can't go represent them if you don't know them. You've got to make sure you're taken care of first. Do you know Him as your Savior? And I'm going to tell you what, if you know Him, and you know what He's done for you, you can't help but tell. You're going to want everybody to know. You're going to want everybody to know. But do you know that yourself? you know your sins are forgiven? You know you're on your way to heaven. That's what changes your life right there, realigns everything. It all starts right there. When we just surrender ourselves to Him in faith, saying, God, I can't do it. You have to save me. Because we just need to keep living that way, saying, God, I'm yours. I can't do it. Use me. Use me. Let me do what I can do. The prayer for missions. See the need. Have a burden, a care, concern for the need. Pray for that need. And then look for a way to answer that prayer. If you'll stand, please. We'll have time to invitation. What number there, Owen? 285. 285 in the, the Baptist hymnal. If you'd like to sing along with the invitation song. 285. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, simple message here this morning. My, how it challenged my own heart putting this together really kind of went a different way than what I intended. I really wanted to just talk about prayer this morning. But realizing that it wasn't just prayer that was taking place there, God, that you you, you had the answer right there before me. You were just getting these guys ready to do the work. Lord, that each of us would be willing, surrendered, that whatever you need us to do, wherever you lead us, whatever that is, whether that's for give a gospel tract to someone, invite someone to church, or teach a class, or support financially some of the great works, or or be a mighty prayer warrior for for you, Lord. There are so many things we can do. Each of us can have a part, and each of us can have a vital part in the work of missions. Lord, help us see that need. Help us have that burden. Help us lift up that prayer, and Lord, help us each to have that heart of surrender that we would pray to you and say, Lord, what can I do? What can I do? 
challenge us, I pray. It's a simple sermon here this morning. Lord, nothing fancy, but challenge our hearts and let us look within ourselves and say, what can we do in service for our great King? Challenge us in this invitation song uh, time, I pray in the holy name. Amen.